Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I hire people from restaurants all the time. I consult all over the country. I'll have a white guy come in and he'll interview for the job and he'll ask me for $90,000. And I'm like, okay, no problem. That's going rate. I'll have a black chef come in and interview for the job. And if he's not educated enough, he's only going to ask me for 55, 60 at best. Why? Because he doesn't feel that he can ask for, uh, he doesn't feel that he can ask for that type of money. I've been holding off on airing this interview. It was recorded sitting down in a restaurant on March 11th of this year with my friend, Chef Mark Anthony Bina. It was the last interview I did in person with anyone. One of the last social interactions I had with a friend before quarantining. Pretty sure he was the last friend I hugged. When things got real with COVID, I started doing more timely content. This was not COVID content. It was an episode I originally was going to title Grab Bag, as I had Mark steer a lot of the conversation. He's smart, he's opinionated, and a lot of the conversation, though not all of it, centered around race as it pertains to the restaurant world. If you don't know Mark, he is a black chef. I would venture to say he's the most famous black chef on Long Island. He's had many acclaimed restaurants there over the years, his most well-known being Hush Bistro. He's a three-time chopped champion. He's versed in cooking many cuisines. He's a fascinating guy and someone I really enjoy spending time with, which is why I met up with him in March. And as you will hear, this was recorded in a restaurant dining room next to an open kitchen. It's ambient noise a lot of us miss and haven't heard in a while. And my plan was to air the conversation right around when New York restaurants reopened as a reminder of what we've been missing. But after recent events, I thought this was the time. So I cut all the parts of this conversation that were lighter and just left in the heavy stuff. And if that doesn't interest you, I'm sorry. And I really think you should ask yourself why. Why don't you want to hear about race? Why do you find yourself shying away from the awkward? Why should people stick to food or stick to whatever? Seriously, look inward. Ask yourself. Because these can be uncomfortable conversations for some, and I get that, but they are conversations we clearly need to have, and we need to be okay with listening and learning and growing. If you are white, in your first public comments on social media about what's going on centered around looting, and we're not about George Floyd being brutally murdered on camera, by a white police officer days earlier? Ask yourself why. If you quickly respond to someone saying black lives matter with all lives matter, even though black lives matter does not mean all lives don't matter, it only means that black people are in pain and they're suffering and they want you to know they matter. They matter and they should not be killed for no reason. If you respond to that message by delegitimizing it with all lives matter, ask yourself why. If you say your issue with these protests is that they haven't always been peaceful, but complained about Colin Kaepernick peacefully protesting for the same reasons by simply taking a knee, ask yourself why. If it took you a week to finally say something in support of black people because deep down you felt afraid to speak up, ask yourself why. Seriously, do this. Look inward. Because I bet the vast majority of people who just heard this and heard something about themselves and what I just said are not people who would ever call themselves racist. 
These are people who attend churches and give to charities and look out for their neighbors and do lots of good in the world. But we all have blind spots. The interesting thing about these protests is that there is not one narrative that can be formed from them. Yes, there has been inexcusable violence on the part of some protesters. And yes, there has been looting. Are some of the offenders black? Sure. But some are also white. There are videos of black protesters trying to stop looting, trying to stop acts of aggression. There are videos of police inciting violence, attacking peaceful protesters and journalists for no reason. There are also videos of police officers standing with protesters, kneeling with them. White cops and black protesters hugging and shaking hands. The protests are a microcosm for society. We have good, we have bad, we have a lot of ugly, messy things to work through. But again, ask yourself, what have you been focused on during this? What has caught your attention? What do you choose to share? What does your editorializing look like? Ask yourself. And please, don't forget what incited all of this. Don't forget why people are mad and sad and have no idea what to do. It is a fact that black people are not treated equally in this society. And if that statement makes you feel uncomfortable, if that makes you want to stop being a fan of me for saying it, please ask yourself why. Why does inequality trigger you? Everyone's answer is going to be different, but please dig deeper, self-reflect. Because if you think that slavery and separate bathrooms and water fountains and segregated schools were all bad but can't understand why anyone would be taking to the streets now, ask yourself why. Look, I'm not perfect. I've tried to amplify voices with the platforms I've had, but I can do better. I haven't always spoken up when I should have. I've been doing a ton of self-reflecting myself, and I've realized that to not speak out, to sit things out because you don't feel like engaging with internet trolls and racists is the height of privilege. Not everyone is so lucky. Just keep that in mind. I feel strongly about this, and I'm not going to pretend I don't, but I've always been afraid to turn people off, and that is a question for which I had to ask myself why. And so here I am, asking you to do the same. Ask yourself why you do whatever it is you do in these moments. Be honest with yourself. See what you discover. With that, here's my conversation with my friend, Chef Mark Anthony Bynum, at Moo Burger in Brooklyn from March 11th, 2020, discussing race with chefs and restaurants and cultural appropriation. And you can sense some awkwardness and trepidation on my part, and that's fine. Let's bask in that awkwardness. We need more of it. We need to talk. Not shout on the internet. Talk. I hope you enjoy. The state of black chefs in America, it's super duper saturated only because of the state of the union at present. People get awards that shouldn't get awards. You are saying... I'm asking you, do you feel that that's the case? That black chefs get awards? Just because they're black chefs now. Wow. You you really went heavy with the first one. <laughs> go hard or go home. Look, to talk broadly about awards, there has been inequality in awards for mm-hmm. a long time. And yes. we are finally addressing it, not just with minority chefs, but with female chefs yes. as well. Well, that's my And we have to. Yeah. And my theory on all of this has always been 
money begets money, power begets power, all of this stuff becomes a never ending cycle. So for instance, if you are a chef of any race, but let's be honest, usually it's a white chef and you have serious money, you can buy what? Yeah. PR. Everything. Yeah. But buy you can, PR. yeah. So you yeah. got a PR firm now. That mm -hmm. PR firm is connected with who? All the the important you yeah, know yeah. journalists and influencers all the and whatever. Have say so. That becomes the echo chamber. What happens with the echo chamber? Now all of a sudden you're on people's radars. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, you know, if you're talking about like for instance James Beard, right? There's not like Michelin inspectors, James Beard inspectors dining at every restaurant. Mm -hmm. I have had different people, PR people say, or even just restaurants say, hey, vote for me for Best Chef Northeast yes. or this or that. Because it really is like I, any person can go out there, fill out a thing on James Beard. It's a popular, and, and so exactly, ultimately it's a popularity right. contest. And to be popular, you need media attention, you need resources, you mm -hmm. need money. Those yeah. are things that if you are often, now look, there are exceptions to every rule. Yes. But and there's it, a, it, also, it also can depend on the market. Like, like New York market is super duper saturated, which isn't a bad thing because it keeps the level of competition up. But if you go down to like, and I love them, but if you if you go to like St. Louis, like a lot a lot of chefs in St. Louis just got James Beard nominations, and I go to St. Louis very very often. Am I there? If I, I and the food is awesome there, but the market is smaller, but they get more acclaim. So then do you have to then go to a smaller market? I'll give you a perfect example. A city that I really enjoyed my one visit to, but after I left, the food underwhelmed me because of all the hype. Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Charleston, South Carolina it reminds me a little bit when you talk about like Long Island, like Huntington, yeah. right? Huntington Village on Long Island, for people that don't know, has a ton of restaurants. Like you, you just like walk out your door and you just bump into restaurants, yeah. right? And it has so, so many. Charleston's the same way. There are restaurants everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But the best restaurants in Charleston, the ones that get all the awards, that get all the acclaim, you know, you're like, They're like wait, want, want. I'm not gonna go that far, but it's like, I ate at one, I won't mention names, I don't like to slam people, but I ate at one that's won James Beard Awards before. And I was a little underwhelmed, you know, because I'm from here. Mm -hmm. I've eaten here. I've eaten in L.A. I've eaten in big cities. And it was like, OK, this is like a nice neighborhood restaurant. Yeah. But but should it get what they're giving it? And that's and that's the question that I have at times, because I travel more now, being that I'm not in in a restaurant because I sold everything and everything is gone. And I eat the food and I'm just like. OK. But like I'm still looking for that wow factor, like I've been in North Carolina and I've eaten in a, a lot of places that that get it and I'm just like like we were cooking and and I don't I don't name names for the most part but I eat I eat some people's food and I'm just like I, I was cooking better than this like 10 years ago when we were in a, like a little spot like and this. now look there there's another thing you're hitting on which I talk about a lot on this show I talked about it on my TV show Restaurant Hunter which is there's this misconception that good food is only in the city it's almost the reverse of what you were saying yeah. before now look the quantity like you said saturation in the city gonna be more it just is mm -hmm. but you can have an amazing restaurant out on long island and i'm not talking hamptons either no. i'm not talking north no. fork i'm talking yeah, center long island and and that's the thing like like when you see these lists of top 20 restaurants in america it's not fair to the journalists who write them because they can't go everywhere yeah they got to go to the cities because they can hit up 12 places mm -hmm. versus maybe they heard about your place but there's nothing else around it so they're not that's a wasted go. trip so then you're a flyover and why is long island a flyover like 
It's either the city or the Hamptons. Everything else in between is just like, yeah. Or now the Catskills. Yeah. Or upstate, you know, Hudson. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because, All those, those, those little those towns. People are starting to throw money into it. And it's just like, okay, no problem. We got to go here. We got to taste it. And it's just like, okay. And if you ever look at those places upstate, right? I'm talking, I'm not talking about Westchester. I'm talking like upstate, up. like those destination type places. The thing, and that's a stereotype, but I'll stereotype. It's always so and so moved from Brooklyn, you know, right? It's always that. It's 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 so and so was tired of the city grind in yeah. Manhattan. So he came up. Yeah, like, exactly. And it's and those people have the money and the resources. And again, that's what it is. So, I I, I know it's a very esoteric question you were yeah. asking me, and um, it's a hard one to answer. I think really what it comes down to is resources feed resources, and that's the biggest obstacle. You addressed an issue which is that obviously there is inequality it's a big issue we talk Mm -hmm. about in the food world inequality in the food world i guess my question to you then is okay so we're talking about the problem how do you fix it it's i don't to be honest with you i don't i don't see how it's fixable because i'll i'll interview i'll interview two and you know i hire people for restaurants all the time i consult all over the country i'll have a white guy come in and he'll interview for the job and he'll ask me for ninety thousand dollars and I'm like, okay, no problem. That's going rate. I'll have a black chef come in and interview for the job. And if he's not educated enough, he's only going to ask me for 55, 60 at best. Why? Because he doesn't feel that he can ask for, uh, he doesn't feel that he can ask for that type of money. Like, and he was like, you know what I'm saying? I want to do the best, but I don't. Like, and what do you do in those situations? <laughs> it all depends on if I'm the business owner or if I'm just a consultant. If I'm the business owner, if the guy's qualified, and I do this to all my cooks. If you ask for a, an amount of money, I'll give you more than you ask for just because I want you to work harder. I want you to, to see it as a blessing to get this job. And if you're asking for that, maybe that's what you need to take care of yourself. So if I give you a little bit more, I don't want you to have to worry about paying your bills. I just want you to have to worry about cooking my food. But do you ever say to that that black chef who's asking for almost half of what the white chef is yes, asking do. for? Do you say, like, you, said, do you, you know your value? I was like, and I was like, you don't know your value, do you? This was, this was last week. This, this was not even, I'm not talking about months ago. I'm talking about last week. Like, dude, you can't live off of $1,000 a week before taxes. Like, like you, you're asking me for $50,000. I was like, that's 1000 before taxes. That's seven fifty. I was like, where are you living? Because you're not living in New York. You're not living on Long Island. 90 grand. 90 grand is the going rate if you're going to run a person's restaurant. And if a person can't pay you $90,000, then they shouldn't be opening up a business, depending on what it is. You can't open up a fine dining restaurant and think that you're going to pay a chef that's going to be working 80, 90 hours, $55,000 a year. And it's just they're less educated. And are they less educated? They just don't feel that they, they can ask for the same amount of money as their, their counterparts. And then, therefore, we have to educate. And it's not everybody. Some of us know our worth. But that's a small circle. And we all communicate. Like, our circle needs to get bigger. I think it starts with awareness. I think it starts with conversations like this. I think it starts with you're seeing it more in the media now, right? Where Mm -hmm. there's this awareness about it. And people are trying to write uh, more stories about... Critics, critics, critics are more willing to go places that they didn't go before. And I think that's a really good thing. I mean, look, when I had Restaurant Hunter, I took that very seriously. I used mm-hmm. to tell my staff the most important thing we did in terms of content was diversity. And that word, I meant that in a very broad way. I didn't just mean diversity of race. Mm-hmm. I meant diversity of cuisines. I meant diversity of price points. 
diversity of geography, mm -hmm. you know, just hit it all, but, you know, because that's but, uh, yes. And I don't mean to interject, but I think that with you and your show, it's just it, it's just different. It, it hits different because then you can look at you can look at different news channels and so forth and so on. And it, they're all it's all scripted. It's all the same. It's just like, yo, where's you know, I do I do my show cooking in color, but it's just like, where's where's that splash of color at? Like everything it's, is the same. Like it's an it's an echo chamber. You know, it's it's amazing. It's everybody's chasing the same thing. And I I just think, why not go a different path? One of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was I, I didn't want to, not, not that we won't ever have big guests on, but mm -hmm. I want to just hang with people I know, yeah. catch up with friends, you know, and and also use it as a chance to champion things that mean something to me. Yeah, uh, I taped a, a podcast recently uh, with the chef, co-owner of a place called Mariachi Mexico in Armonk. And I did it partially because one, I wanted to talk tacos and mm -hmm. Joanna, she knows her tacos, but two, I wanted to champion her place because it's the best Mexican place in Westchester and people don't get it. Okay. It's like, I've got a platform and I'm really excited about what this person's doing mm -hmm. and people don't understand why she's charging what she's charging for Mexican. But did you know she's making her own tortillas? Did you know she's shopping at the green market? Like, did you know that? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Let me educate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can go to a Mexican place and I'm not saying any names, but I can go there and I can spend 300 bucks and I leave not full. But I have to go get a papaya dog or, you know, a two dollar slice of slice of pizza when I go into the city. No, I, no, I get it. And I think that that's one thing that I always loved about your show and you know what I'm saying your podcast is like you know what I'm saying you do shine a light on a little guy. And I, I think I try and do the same thing like. When, when I when I bring in cooks and when I try and educate, when I try and mentor, it's just a totally different feel. You know what I'm saying? Because your legacy is that what you leave behind. I think that's your show. And even with this, it's it's something left to be expected. It's something that people need to hear. I think this brings it full circle from what we talked about in the beginning. And that is that if you are not of a culture and want to cook that culture's food for a living, you better be serious about it and do your homework. Yes. I think that you can be, I, first off, I don't believe in saying you are Mexican, you can only cook Mexican. Mm -hmm. I do, I do right? ramen. If, if you're, right, you, exactly, <laughs> that's my point. If you are, you know, I mean, look, it gets really tricky because you talk about a cultural appropriation, all these yeah. things, and I think there's a fine line but like somebody like Andy Ricker, who cooks, he's a white guy cooking Thai food. Mm -hmm. But boy, did he do his homework. He spends about three months out of the year in Thailand. You have and, to pay and, your and he is he is doing it to a T. He's not trying to recreate it. And that's not to say you can't put your own quote unquote chefy spin on it. But you need to have a foundation under you of knowledge. And you have to also let people know, hey, I'm not trying to be traditional, quote yeah. unquote, authentic. Like, I know that. Mm -hmm. I think where, where people get in trouble is when they're cooking something that's not their culture and they're trying to pass it off as being authentic and it's not. Mm -hmm. And and they know it. That's but, where I say, no, you can't do that. Yes. And that's why, like even with Noodle, like before I opened up MB, I had, I had a whole company come in and taste my Noodle because when I first... That was your I, ramen joint. Yeah, that was, my, that was my ramen joint. I'm not, I'm not Asian, you know what I'm saying? Rhythm and ramen, like that's, that's what it is. And, but you, know, you have a respect for I it. I have a, a respect for it. And, a, and, and, and it's not a money grab. And I let people know all the time. It's not a money grab to me. Like, I respect the culture. If you go to certain noodle restaurants, you can't take it to go. So I didn't want it to go to go. You know, when I have people 
of Asian culture come into the restaurant and they sip my noodle. And I, and I remember it vividly. It was the first week that we were open. Lady, she was about 81 years old and she had the fume miso, which was, you know, my fish, my fish, uh, my fish one with, with salmon roe and freaking salmon sashimi. And she took the first spoon because you have to taste the broth first. No noodle, no nothing. Just taste the broth. She tasted the broth. She looked up at me. She gave me the thumbs up. She was like, this is probably one of the best bowls of noodle I've ever had in my life. Now, the person wasn't 20 years old. And, I'm, and for me, that's, that's the coup de gras right there. I'm paying homage to you and your culture. And you love it. Like, that's dope. And that's, that's all I can ask for. You know, you have to pay homage to that culture. And if it's not authentic, just say your take. I'm saying you can't you can't say right. oh yeah this is authentic this no it's not but, but again how does trouble. a how does a cuisine go from being a regional thing in one part of the world to being global well if more people are cooking it and celebrating it that spreads it but that's where the fine line is because if more people are cooking it and celebrating it but they're doing sort of bastardized versions now yeah. now what are we talking about right now it's a negative thing now yeah. and and it's such a you know again it's such a fine line because Cuisines but, do change. Yeah. And cuisines do change, but that's when it's it's up to the people to know. It's up to the people to educate themselves. You know what I'm saying? Because if if I go if I go if I go to Japan, if I go to Korea, and I have noodle, and I come back here, Chinese food over there isn't same same Chinese food over here. You know exactly. It's, it's it's not the same thing. So then where where is the line? It's all about the person who's doing it and what they want to do. Like Wu Tang Clan. Wu Tang Clan gives money to the Shaolin Temple. Like, give back to the community that's ultimately making you okay, money. Okay, I, I can't top that right there. You just, <laughs> that is the ultimate right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're going to use it, use it, but then give back to it, you know? And that's, that, that, that's my take on that. You know what I'm saying? Because you got people cooking Southern food that never had Southern food in their life. And, you know, I'm, I'm the chef that wanted to stay away from fried chicken and collard greens and mac and cheese. But then I find myself going to it because it's a hot topic and it, it's what makes you bread. But, you know. I'm Nigerian, but I don't I don't sit here cooking jollof and, you know, doing Nigerian food. That's not what I grew up on. And I don't want to go there just because I know that I'm Nigerian to say this is me and my story. That's not me and my story. Fried my chicken's not your story. No, my you're mom not is you're from, from the, the South. No, my mom is from the Bronx. My mom cooks Southern food for my dad. My dad hates when I make freaking grits because I put sugar <laughs> in my grits. And he just wants salt, pepper, and butter. You know, I'm 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 a product of I'm a, I'm a worldly child because I grew up worldly. Like we didn't have one culture. You know what I'm saying we did barbecue. We did that's what we did in our house, but it wasn't it wasn't smoked ribs and it was barbecue on a grill, grilling. Like when you're in Jamaica, they're like, no, it's not barbecue, it's grilling. You know what I'm saying because they throw it on the grill. You know what I'm saying jerk chicken on the grill is the best. Can you know, a can a white chef do fried chicken? Absolutely. An Asian chef could do fried chicken. You know what I'm saying anybody could do fried. Anybody can do food. That's one of the now, reasons why I will I tell love you this. Food. I, I had to pause on this one. And I again, I don't want to name names because I don't think the person's intentions were in the wrong place, but it did make me stop. Mm -hmm. I shot at a restaurant once that it was a Southern themed restaurant, white chef, white owners. And they served me and look, the fried chicken was legitimate. I'm not going to lie. And they served it with a slice of watermelon. And it made me pause for a second. Like, this, and I don't think they meant anything by no. it. And look, the, t the two do pair well, but it felt a little bit like you can't go there but, to me. Am I wrong in feeling that way? It felt a little like it, it gave me pause. Like, like, see, wait, but, or is this what we're doing here? Like, but, the, but I think that that's with everything that goes on in a generation. Some people are so sensitive. Like 
if it if it's hit, it's hit. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm gonna take fried chicken, watermelon with some amaretto honey and a slice of feta cheese, and I'm gonna put it on a sandwich. I mean, it's, it's that dope. classic combination of if you take all the the, the tropes away from it, it, it well, it's salty and sweet, but it's also fresh and heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, if I'm gonna eat something heavy, I want something fresh and light with it to balance it out. Yeah. But it just felt like Oh, like, I don't know, something about it struck a nerve with me. Like, okay, it just it then, stopped me in my tracks. But then if you go to a restaurant that's owned by a, a, a black guy and he does duck confit, which is traditionally French, that's me. Are you going to pause on that? No, no. See, like, but it's a different dynamic. Is it really, though? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying it isn't like I think that so many people are just so sensitive now. And, and rightfully so, like, you know. We never got a fair. We never got a fair shake in this race. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it is. But after a while, it's just like, it is what it is. Like, there's no changing it. Like the system. Everybody says the system is broken. The system isn't broken. The system is perfect in every way. Like the system that was created was created to keep people at bay. So even if one or two or five or fifteen or fifteen hundred fall through the cracks, it doesn't mean that there's equality. It doesn't. It just means that. A couple got through because most likely somebody else made a whole bunch of money off of them. And that's the reason why they are where they are. Black Panther was a great movie. Made a whole bunch of money. Had black people going to the freaking theaters and droves. It's owned by a white guy. And they're like black power. And then they get excited when they put a STEM school in California off the money that they made from Black Panther. How much would it cost for them to put up a STEM school in California off the money off of Black Panther when you know they're going to be getting tax breaks on everything that they do for the next 30 years. Like, everything is desensitized. It's the same thing with food. Like, just be the best person that you can be because the world is not going to change. It's going to blow up eventually, and systemic racism will still be alive. Worry about your world. Worry about your kitchen. Worry about your kids. Worry about your food because nothing is going to change. Well, listen, I think (laughs) this was... What I love love about this podcast is sometimes it can just be pure, silly hot take fun the best way to build a taco mm-hmm. such topics like that we went scorched earth on this one yeah, we but did. but you know that's why i wanted to have you on and look this is these are not topics that i feel comfortable talking about <laughs> on my own for for very obvious reasons and i think it, it's it's interesting discussion and i think we do live in an era where people are sometimes afraid to have these discussions yeah, but we could we could have them we could have them all the time it's just People can't be so sensitive anymore. Look, when I was a kid, I remember I used to watch my mom have friends over and then she would stand in the doorway and instead of like saying goodbye, they would talk for like another hour. And I'm like, why did they do that? You're that guy with me. Like I could sit here and do this for two hours with you. But I try to keep a hard limit on these podcasts because I want I know people have short attention spans. So so we'll continue this conversation off mic. Mark, thank you so much, buddy. And we did talk more off mic. My thanks to Chef Mark Anthony Bynum, and thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with me and continue this dialogue, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rob Patron TV. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Rob Patron. Till next time, ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.